we will have a, a short meeting, congregational meeting, right after church. I also want you to remember Mr. Chuck Holder. He will be having an operation on December 28th, unless anything changed, but that's, as far as I know, he's having an operation. So you need to remember him in your prayers. Let's pray. Amos eternal and everlasting Father, King of kings and Lord of lords, we are thankful that we are your children. We are thankful that we have a high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, who pleads on our behalf. We are thankful that you have seen fit to assemble us this morning in your goodness, in your mercy. We are thankful for the many blessings and the protections that you have afforded us throughout this week. Once we know, and a whole lot that we don't know. For all of this, we thank you. Father, we have gathered this morning in obedience to your instruction that we should be assembling ourselves to be, to be encouraged through your word. And so we pray that uh, as we have gathered together, that God the Holy Spirit will enable us to hear precisely what you want us to hear. This is a request in Christ's name. Amen. First Corinthians, we're still in First Corinthians chapter 10, verses 14 through 22. First Corinthians chapter 10, verses 14 through 22. What we're going to study this morning, I studied it, as some of you, when you see the note online, you see the same date. I studied this on August 2021. I give you that date to see how much you actually concentrate. By the time we finish this morning, if you don't know why I gave you that, I feel that my 26 years here have been almost a waste. Anyway, this is, uh, it is something to see whether you actually pay attention to what we're studying. Because uh, in my judgment, there's no way, if you remember this day, by the time I finish, you just a paragraph in my notes will make you know what, how God works. That's all I can say. Anyway, beginning of verse 18, we read, Consider the people of Israel... Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? Do I mean then that a sacrifice offered to an idol is anything, or that an idol is anything? No, but the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. Are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Now recall 
that uh, message of this passage is that we have been considering is this. Believers should avoid idolatry since everything associated with it is incompatible with the Christian faith. Exposes one to demons and so harms one's fellowship with the Lord. Now as I put this message, if you really go and think through what I have given as the message, that's what summarizes the whole passage. Because every the major things that we go through in that passage is in that message. Again, look at what I said. That everything associated with idolatry is incompatible with the Christian faith. And exposes one to demons and harms one's fellowship with the Lord. So, if you understand how idolatry harms your fellowship with the Lord, which we'll get to uh, not necessarily today, but you will see why it is important not to be involved in it. Or if you see the danger, which I will uh, come to this uh, in the second half, uh, to show you the danger, that's how you can expose yourself to demons and don't even know it. And a lot of things going on around in your life, you, don't, you, you, know, you never think enough to realize, oh yeah, maybe it's because of this demonic influence or in, in my life, somewhere, somehow. Anyway, we have asserted that there are three general reasons the Holy Spirit provided through Apostle Paul about the prohibition against idolatry. The first is because of the uniqueness of the Lord's Supper. As described in verses 16 and 17. Now this uniqueness is conveyed in the significance of the elements of the cup and the bread used in the celebration of the Lord's Supper. The cup, as stated previously, signifies sharing in the blessings of the death of Christ that includes forgiveness of sins, while the bread signifies belonging to the church of Christ. Consequently, because of the uniqueness of the Lord's Supper, that believer uh, partake, that indicates that they share the benefit of the death of Christ on the cross and belong to the church of Christ. But because of that, they should avoid idolatry. A second reason is the nature of the sacrifices in general, both in ancient Israel and among the pagans, described in verses 18 through 20. In our last study, we considered the nature of sacrifices in the ancient Israel that we indicated were such that they created unity between them and God and each other. Therefore, idolatry is unbecoming of those who have such relationship with God, since it will be an affront to God. Having considered the nature of sacrifices of the ancient Israel, we proceed to consider the nature of sacrifices among the pagans. It is with this that we begin our study this morning. Now there are two declarations of the Holy Spirit through Apostle Paul regarding the nature of sacrifices 
among the pagans. The first declaration regarding the nature of the sacrifices of the uh, pagans offered to their idols is that there is no reality. There's no reality to them, to those sacrifices. Because idols that are reflections of the gods that the pagans worship are not real. Idols are not real. Now this declaration of the nature of the sacrifices of, of the pagans is given in the rhetorical question of 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 19. Again it reads, I mean then that the sacrifice offered to an idol is anything or that an idol is anything. Now the, it all depends on the English version that you have. As to how the rhetorical question begins. Now some English versions uh, use the word say. Others, uh, such as the English Standard Version, use the word imply. imply, All because of the meanings of the Greek word used. Now the word mean of the NIV is translated from a Greek verb. That is concerned with stating something either orally or in writing. So it means to say. As it is used by Apostle Paul in his quotation from uh, citing a passage in Old Testament. As described in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 16. First Corinthians chapter six verse sixteen. It is do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said that's a Greek word, it is said, though the two will become one flesh. Now the Greek word can also mean to declare, as the apostle Paul Use it to indicate what will, ha- what will not happen as it pertains to the eternal future. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 50. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 50. It reads, I declare to you, Brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. The word may also mean to affirm or to claim. As it is used by Apostle Paul in stating what others charge him of. As we gather from Romans chapter 3 verse 8. People who misunderstood the concept of grace that the apostle expounded. This is what he charged him about. Romans chapter 3 verse 8. Why not say, as we are being slanderously reported as saying, 
And as some claim, that's a Greek word, claim that we say, let us do evil that good may result. Their condemnation is deserved. That's those who think because the apostle just is talking about grace. It, it means that, okay, you're giving people license to go do whatever they want to do. And that's really what it is that he's talking about here. Anyway, the Greek word may mean to say something that provides a fuller explanation of a statement. Hence means to imply or to mean. Now it is this meaning of to mean that is to intend to express or convey something that the word is used in our passage of 1 Corinthians 10 verse 19. Thus, the apostle's rhetorical question implies that he does not intend to assign any reality to a sacrifice made to an idol simply by acknowledging that pagans do indeed offer sacrifices. If anything, he intended to convey that there is no reality to the pagan sacrifices to their uh, idols, implying that his thought went back to what he had previously stated in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 4. First Corinthians chapter 8 verse 4 reads So then about eating food sacrificed to idols we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and there is no God but one now sacrifices made to pagan uh, idols involve something that is real or tangible because of the phrase of 1 Corinthians 10 verse 19 we are starting where it says a sacrifice offered to an idol. Now the expression a sacrifice offered to an idol that whole expression is really just one word in the Greek that refers to something offered to an idol in form of religious service or worship. Thus, it refers to a sacrificial meat of which part of it was burnt on the altar of the deity of a deity, and the remaining portion was either eaten as a sacred meal in the temple or was sold in the market for normal consumption by people or both. Now, because the Jews were careful at the time of the New Testament to avoid any appearance of idolatry, it was forbidden for them to eat or trade in such meat because uh, it was a meat that was defiling. Now, what I'm saying is, Israel learned a hard lesson. Now, I imagine all of us, well, most of us, nothing teaches you more than pain. In other words, people can talk to you anything they want. Once you experience pain, you get it. As long as you're not experiencing pain, you don't get it. And people can advise you, explain to you, you, 
you're oblivious. But when pain comes, you begin to uh, think. Anyway, consequently, the elder church rendered the decision that Gentile believers should avoid such meat as described in Acts chapter 15 verse 29. Acts chapter 15 verse 29. Acts chapter 15 verse 29. It reads, you, you are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of Strangled animals and from sexual immorality, you will do well to avoid these things. So there's no doubt that God abhors believers eating such meat or food as part of worship to an idol. Now this we noted, first noted with the anger of, of God or his wrath towards some Israelite men who participated in worship and food offered to idols by the Moabites, as stated in Numbers chapter 25, verses 2 and 3. Numbers chapter 25, verses 2 and 3. Numbers 25, verses 2 and 3. Numbers 25 verse 2 reads, Who invited them to the sacrifices to their gods? The people ate and bowed down before these gods. So Israel joined in worshipping the Baal of Peor. And the Lord's anger burned against them. Several thousands died. Now that God is displeased with believers... Participating in eating meat or food offered as a part of idolatry is clear from the Lord's denunciation of two of the seven Asiatic churches. The Asiatic churches of Revelation that reveal or pattern the, the, the stay of the church on this planet. So he rebuked the church in, in Pagamum for such a practice. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 14. <coughs> Revelation chapter 2, verse 14. It reads, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You have people there who hold to the teaching of Balaam and taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrifice to idols and by committing sexual immorality. Now the same rebuke is levied against the church of Tutara. Tutara. As recorded still in Revelation chapter 2, look at verse 20. 
verse 20 reads Nevertheless I have this against you you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess by her teaching she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. The apostle, the point of course of the apostle Paul in the phrase of 1 Corinthians 10:19 when he says a sacrifice offered to idols is that the sacrificial element of pagans to their gods is real. But the sacrifice itself as offered to the idol or an idol is not real. That is, it does not have any significance to it. In effect, when the apostle wrote in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 19, look at it, he said, I mean then that a sacrifice offered to an idol is anything. When he wrote that, He intended that the Corinthians should not think that because sacrificial meat is real, that the sacrifice itself has any significance as that of the ancient Israel to their God instead of the true, I mean, instead of the supreme God of the universe. That yes, the sacrifices, they are real. But it has no significance. Now this is what the apostle then meant when he said in effect that the sacrifice is nothing or in the words of the NIV when he said it's anything, it's anything. Now to support my interpretation let me really focus on, that, on the verbal phrase is anything. That is literally the Greek reads this way to be something, to be something. That's where the Greek reads, to be something. Now, interestingly, the expression to be in the literal translation or is in the NIV is translated from a, a Greek verb that may mean to exist, to exist, as it is used in the belief in the existence of the Supreme God in Hebrews. Chapter 11, verse 6. Hebrews. Hebrews. Chapter 11, verse 6. It is. And without faith. It is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. That word exists is a Greek word, any, any. And that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now the Greek verb, when used with an indefinite pronoun, in the Greek, as it is used in our passage, of 1 Corinthians 10, 19, it may mean to be of relative significance. To be of relative significance or to be of the moment or to, to be of importance. 
It can also mean to amount to something. So that is the way the word that the word the meaning of that word is used by the apostle Paul to indicate his statement in Galatians chapter six verse three. Galatians Galatians chapter 6 verse 3 It is If anyone thinks he is something When he is nothing He deceives himself Now the clause If anyone thinks he is something Is to be understood to mean that One regards himself as important one regarding himself or herself as important now that aside it is in the sense of being of significance that the word is used in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 19 implying that the verbal phrase is anything in our passage in the NIV is then to be understood to mean that sacrifice offered to an idol is of no significance. It's just what things people do. The whole lot of things people do, they think it has meaning, but it has no significance. One of them is those in paganism offering idol. Uh, sacrifices to their idols they believe it means something, but it doesn't has no meaning. Again, because the rhetorical question of first Corinthians ten verse nineteen when he say I mean then that the sacrifice offered to an idol is anything of the apostle Paul, that question expects the answer no. Because of that, it is fitting to realize that the apostle meant that sacrifice made to idols is nothing. That is, that such sacrifice has no significance to it. Although the meat or food offered it's tangible or real. But not this, this, uh, the sacrifice itself. It has no meaning. Now, it is not only that a sacrifice offered to an idol is nothing because it has no significance, but the idol itself lacks any reality or any significance so, uh, to it. So that is where it's conveyed in the clause where we're starting to look at. 1 Corinthians 10, 19 again. It reads, all that an idol is anything. That an idol is anything. Now to understand that the apostle meant to convey that there is no reality to an idol that the pagans offered uh, their sacrifices, we need to review first what we said about the verbal phrase is anything, anything. Just a few minutes ago, I just explained it. But then, recall though, that we said that the Greek verb translated is in the NIV can also mean to exist or to be of relative significance, to be of the moment or importance, or to amount to something. Doesn't there are two possible ways of understanding the Greek verb used when it says 
or the in the phrase or that an I, uh, or, or that an idol is anything. There are two ways we can understand the Greek values. It could be understood to mean to exist. So the implication would be that an idol has no real existence. Or the verb could mean to be of no significance. Implying that an idol has no true significance. Now the next thing we need to review to understand what the apostle meant in the clause that an idol is anything is what we said in the eighth chapter of First Corinthians about the word idol. Especially though, I'm going to review it in the interest of those who are not here when we considered it. Now even if you're among those who had it, you probably need your memory refreshed. Even if you have what is described as photographic memory. Although, frankly speaking, I don't think that works in the spiritual life. I tell you, you may have a photographic memory for anything, but not necessarily in the spiritual life. For the simple reason that memory related to something spiritual supplied by the Holy Spirit. So that that's how we retain things. The Holy Spirit has to, and it doesn't depend on your IQ. It will depend on whether the Holy Spirit is working in you. You may have the highest IQ. It doesn't matter. The Holy Spirit is the one that provides us that ability to understand and retain things. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to be technical for the next few minutes, several minutes from now. I'm going to be really technical. Now let me try to explain this. I am one of those who believe. I mean, this, I'll be honest with you, seminaries, and you go to that in many local churches, even those who say they go verse by verse. I don't know how you go verse by verse and cover 15 verses in, in 30 minutes. But I say this, go. Yes, what they tell you in the seminary is, oh, don't worry about all these technical, just give it to them. Just give them whatever is as simple as you can give it. You don't want people to get lost. I take the opposite view. And that is, give them as it is. Why should we undervalue what the Holy Spirit can do with people? That's my first question. But if you look at it from the other perspective, you know, for some of you this morning, you know that whatever heating system that you have is working over time, during the night. Compressors, everything going, electricity going up. Why? To maintain a certain temperature inside means something else must go in. Work harder. That is, of course, coming from the, what they call the first law of thermodynamics. But anyway, here's the thing. I believe that the more the congregation is challenged to be technical in their thinking as believers, that the Holy Spirit will lead them rise to that occasion. But if you say, oh, you look down on everyone, they can do it. Then, at that that's what happens. And that's why we have Christians all over this, the world today that can't think through, think their way out of a paper basket because their minds are not being challenged. They are, they are simply interested with those sound bites. 
So, I'm going to be technical to challenge your mind. And I did that when we studied this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Well, the word really that we want to focus and review is the word idol. Now, that word idol is translated from a Greek word, eidolon. E-I-D-O-L-O-N. Eidolon. Now, this, that is really, in secular Greek, this word means picture or copy. It can also mean image in the mind. Hence, can refer to an idea. Now, it is not the usual Greek word for cultic. Because when we use the word cultic, we really mean something pertaining to religious uh, devotion expressed through all kinds of rites or ceremonies. So, we're saying that the, this Greek word is not normally used in the cultic images, but when used, but, uh, when used for Im- images, the idea of the word then is that of reflection of the deity, reflection. So, the word is used for a work of, of art in the sense of an unconscious and immobile copy quite distinct from the living being in question. Now, the uh, Hebrew, when we call Hebrew scholar, Philo, used the word commonly for what is unreal or deceptive. Now, in the New Testament, the word has the meaning of an idol, in the sense of a formed physical object that is worshipped, or an image, or a representation, in the sense of a representation of an alleged transcendent being that is worshipped. Now, as we stated, the Greeks, though, did not use the word for their deities in Greek literature until after the word is used in the Septuagint. That is the translation of the Hebrew Bible into the Greek. It is where the word is used to describe the pagan gods. Now so, when a Greek, when a, a Hebrew or a Hebrew speaking person who reads the Septuagint and sees the word Aedelon, what does he think about? What does the word tell him? I just said, you know, the word idol. But really, so how we know what it will mean to that kind of person is to go back and see the word idol in the Greek New Testament, at least uh, in the Septuagint, for example, where we know it is used to translate Hebrew words. So in order to know how a Hebrew person would think when he sees the word Aidelon, what we do is we go back and look at how how many of the Hebrew words used to translate this same word. Or, if you flip the other way, this word is used to translate how many Hebrew words. Because that gives us the unique meanings of the words used would then allow us to know how a Greek, I mean a Hebrew person 
would think when he sees this word Edelon. So with that in mind, I'm going to give you several uh, Hebrew words used uh, in the Hebrew, but translated using our uh, Greek word in the Septuagint. Now we do have, first we have a Hebrew uh, word, Gilulim. G-I-L-U-L-I-M I say Gulilim. This I-M is usually how a plural is formed in the Hebrew. Usually, once you see I-M, depending on what the word is, it usually tells us it's a plural. Now, Gililim is always a derogatory and pejorative term criticizing idol worship. So we are told the word refers to the physical objects of idols probably with the connotation that idols are piles of excrement. So that's where, you know, this, when they use that word, they're looking at, say, idols are nothing but what? Piles of excrement. And you can fill in the detail, you know, yeah, it what, what it really means. Anyway. Okay. Now it is with this, this meaning of idol that the word is used in the description of Josiah's effort to rape Judah of idolatry, as recorded in Second Kings chapter twenty three, verse twenty four. Second Kings Second Kings chapter twenty three verse twenty four. It is furthermore Josiah got rid of the Medians and Spiritus, the household gods. The idols, Gulilim, that's the Hebrew word here. The idols and all the other detestable things seen in Judah and Jerusalem. This he did to fulfill the requirements of the law written in the book that Hilkiah the priest had discovered in the temple of the Lord. Our Greek word, Edelim, it's also it's used to translate a Hebrew word asaf. A S A B asaf. Now that word asaf refers to a formed and fashioned object believed by its maker. To contain or to represent a deity. And so an object of worship. And hence means image idol. As it is used by prophet Hosea. In his indictment of Israel's involvement in idolatry. As we read in Hosea chapter 13 verse 2. 
Okay. Let's see if uh, what happens here. For those of you not seeing the, not in the audience, we we're having some problem with my iPad. Okay, I think we're back in business. We are, before uh, things went kaput, as I said, we said that the second Hebrew word that's often uh, translated in the Septuagint using Eidelon is the word Asar, that we indicated has to do with image or idol and that is how it is used in Hosea chapter 13 verse 2 it is now they sin more and more they make idols for themselves from their silver clearly fashioned images all of them the work of craftsmen. It is said of these people, they offer human sacrifice and kiss the calf idols. Now our, our Greek word is also a word that is used to translate another Hebrew word, which most of you know, Elohim. E-L-O-H-I-M. Elohim. Which means God, capital G, or gods. This word Elohim can mean God, just capital G-O-D, and then gods in plural. But a Hebrew passage where our Greek word is used in the Septuagint indicates that the Hebrew word refers to an object that one made that was thrown into fire. 
And that's what we have in Isaiah chapter 37 verse 19. Isaiah 37 verse 19. Now here is the thing because most people say Elohim. And we're trying to say yes, Elohim could mean God, the supreme God. Or it can mean really the lesser gods that we studied in 1 Corinthians 8. So in that way, it's in the plural, gods. But when we mean the true God, uh, the supreme God, we just use the word God. Not plural, God. Anyway, here we are saying that this same word Elohim can refer to something like an image. I mean, a, an object made by somebody. Look at what it says. They have thrown their gods Elohim. See, they have thrown their Elohims into the fire and destroyed them. For they were not gods, but only wood and stone fashioned by human hands. Now our Greek word is also used to translate in the Septuagint a Hebrew word teraphim. Who spell it as T-E-R-A-P-I-M Teraphim. And that word in the Hebrew means household God. As it is used in connection with leaven, as we read in Genesis chapter 31 verse 19. Genesis Genesis chapter 31 verse 19 It is when Laban had gone to share his sheep Rachel stole her father's Household gods. That expression, household gods, teraphim. Now it is this meaning that is used in relation to Micah, uh, an Ephraimite that had in his possession a carved image that was an object of worship in Judges chapter 18, verse 18. Judges chapter 18 verse 18 sorry and hold on to that because I'm going to pick up another passage in that Judges Judges chapter 18 verse 18 reads when these men went into Micah's house and took the carved image the effort, the other household gods, and the cast idol, the priest said to them, What are you doing? Now, the Hebrew word also may mean idol as a general word to describe carved images, 
that include household gods, as it is used also in the description of idolatry that Micaiah was involved in, as narrated in Judges chapter 17, verse 5. It is now this man Micah had a shrine and he made an effort and some idols and stole and installed one of his sons as his priest. Now the phrase some idols refers to the uh, to that described in Judges eighteen verse eighteen as carved image, household gods, and cast idols. But really, the Hebrew word is used in such a way that it could be interpreted to be distinct from the Hebrew word that we cited previously, gulilim, that means an idol, or referring to uh, an idol. So, there is so much that I could go on with that particular word, but the thing is that the uh, Hebrew word terapim may also simply mean idolatry. As that is the way, we don't, you don't need to look at it, but I'll, I'll just cite it. Go home, you can look at it, 4 Samuel chapter 15, verse 23. That's really, the issue is, the Hebrew word des- uh, describes an object, carved that is small enough to be hidden underneath Rachel, who sat on it, as mentioned in Genesis 31, verse uh, Verse uh, 34. The Teraphim. He reads. Genesis 31 verse 34 reads. Now Rachel had taken the household gods. That's Teraphim. And put them inside her camel's saddle. And was sitting on them. Laban searched through everything in the tent but found nothing. So it must be so small that somebody can sit on it. On the other hand though, it's like enough, depending on how it is made, to be used as a decoy. As was used by Michal, David's wife, to represent David sleeping in his bed. As in First Samuel, Chapter 19, verse 13. For Samuel, for Samuel, chapter 19, verse 13. He reads, then Michal took an idol and laid it on the bed, covering it with a garment and putting some good hair at the head. Now that's what it says here, uh, an idol, that is our Hebrew word, terapim. Terapim. So it must be something big enough so it can stretch and represent a human being, so to say. Anyway, 
So the Hebrew word describes objects used to uh, the, uh, determine divine will, as we may gather from its consultation of objects of idolatry by the Babylonian king as he was going to battle. So, the same word used in the Hebrew for household gods is the word that is used in Ezekiel chapter 21, verse 21. Ezekiel chapter 21, verse 21. It reads, For the king of Babylon will stop at the, uh, at the fork in the road at the junction of the two roads to seek an omen. He will cast lots with arrows. He will consult his idols. That word idols is a terrapin. That's something consulted to give, you know, which way should I go? That's the kind of thing he does. He said he will examine Deliver. That's all the uh, hidden practices of them deceiving themselves and saying we're using it to find the truth or find what we need to find. Anyway, another Hebrew word though that is translated in the Septuagint with our Greek word Edelon is a Hebrew word Hevel or Hevel. And uh, if you remember, those of you who studied here, the book of Ecclesiastes, you remember I kept using that word many, many times. Hevel, Hevel, Hevel. Now, actually, the word means, you know, that's why it's translated like in the NIV, it means meaningless, as it is used once though in the book of Job. The 33 times our Hebrew word is used in Ecclesiastes. You remember that I told you that the best meaning is incomprehensible. So when the people say vanity is vanity or meaningless meaning, no, it is incomprehensible. You know, it's incomprehensible why a man will be so rich and, bo- and gets a son who is an idiot that's going to blow it up. That's incomprehensible. It's not meaningless. It is incomprehensible. Anyway. Anyway, so the word may mean breath of humans as in Psalm 39 verse 11. Psalms 39 verse 11 It is You rebuke and discipline men for their sin You consume their wealth like a moth Each man is but a breath That's the Hebrew word Hebel Hebel Now there's a whole lot more 
since I'm reviewing, I'm just going to uh, skip some things. But uh, another Hebrew word also that is used uh, in the Septuagint with this word Edelon is the Hebrew word Elili. Elili. That word actually uh, describes something as weak or worthless. So the word then means worthlessness. That's the way the word is used in the mouth of Job to describe his three friends in Job chapter 13 verse 4. Job chapter 13 Job chapter 13 verse 4 reads You however smear me with lies you are worthless physicians, all of you. See that phrase, worthless physician, is literally healers of worthlessness. Healers of worthlessness. Now the word no doubt may mean idol. The same thing that it can be it can also mean an image. As for example, it's used in Ezekiel chapter 30, verse 13. Ezekiel chapter 30, verse 13. It reads. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I will destroy the idols and put an end to the images in Memphis. No longer will there be a prince in Egypt and I will spread fear throughout the land. Now these various Hebrew words translated by our Greek word in the Septuagint and help us to shape the view of a Jew who used the Greek word Edelon. Because that is used to describe so many words. And so then such a person will recognize our Greek word as used to describe images of the pagan deities as Something contemptible and worthless. That's the way they're going to say it. Something contemptible and worthless. So in any event, the Old Testament scripture is also clear that idols are not gods. As we read in Jeremiah chapter 16 verse 20. That idols... And our gods. So we read 
in Jeremiah chapter 16 verse 20. It is Jeremiah chapter 20, I mean chapter 16 verse 20. Reads, do men make their own gods? Yes, but they are not gods. They make gods, but they are not gods. So the implication is that idols that are supposed to represent pagan gods are not indwelt by their gods. Now we should, of course, be careful to understand that what is called gods of the pagan people in the Septuagint, using the Greek word we consider are the images and not the gods represented by the images. Hence, the word idol, as used by Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 19, is to be understood as that which represents pagan gods, that are real, the pagan gods that are real, but the idols themselves are not real because they are not living objects, but objects that are worthless and of no value. The gods are real because the gods exist, as we have known before. So what this means is that when Apostle Paul wrote in a passage we are studying in 1 Corinthians 10, 19, or that an idol is anything, he meant the representation of a God that exists. But an idol is not real. Since it is an image that is produced by humans that could not possibly represent a God that those who try to represent do not know what the idol looks like. As to have an image of it. In other words, how can you give an image of something you don't know what it looks like? That's the point. So, gods are real. We studied that in chapter 8. They are real. We call them lesser gods. They are real. They are causing problems. If you don't believe it, look at the problem going all over the world. They are real. But we don't see them. We haven't seen them. So, how can you represent something you've never seen? That's the point of the Apostle Paul. Yes, the gods are real, but the idols are not because they're not representing what is reality. So this being the case then, an idol has no true significance. It exists with people who make it, but it has no significance. Now Apostle Paul certainly knew that there is no reality so any sacrifice pagans make to their gods, not from his observation, but from the scripture. It is very likely that when Apostle wrote the clause of 1 Corinthians 10 verse 19, look at that again, he said, or that an idol is anything, it's very likely that once he wrote that, that the Holy Spirit took his mind to the description of idols given in Psalm 115 verses 4 through 7. Now my point is that uh, yes, Paul is arguing these idols 
they intend to represent gods that are real. But the idols, because they don't know the image, they, they have never seen what a god looks like. So whatever they make is meaningless. It has no significance, it has no value. But I'm saying uh, that when he's, as soon as he said, he wrote that, that the Holy Spirit transported his mind or carried his mind to Psalm 115, verses 4 through 7. And looking at time, we'll look at it after break. <laughs> 